Hey, welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearUps, a security program management platform for virtual CISOs and security experts. For years as the general counsel for various startups, I suffered from what I call the security questionnaire problem. So one day I figured if no one else was solving that problem, I would. I started this podcast much the same way in that I went running one day and tried to find a podcast on security experts, business, and entrepreneurship. I couldn't find any. So, like how I started ClearUps, I thought I'd start my own podcast. Today, our guest is Ryan Gurney. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I like to start out with a background question. So if you could please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and specifically focusing on where your passion for cybersecurity came from. Sure. Yeah. So I am currently an operating partner at a, at a VC fund originating out of Israel called Wild Ventures. But before that, I was a security professional uh, in operational roles through my career as a CISO uh, and as a practitioner. My passion for security actually came from uh, just being very um, exploratory and interested in computers as a young person. Uh, as a 13-year-old, I, I ran a BBS off my parents' phone line and messed around with computers and got very interested in those. And when I went to college, uh, I realized I wasn't the greatest programmer. And I, had, I wanted to stay in computers but not be a programmer. Um, and so in one of my classes at college, we had an individual come from one of the big four firms and talk about this idea of security and dumpster diving and pen testing and all this stuff. And I knew that was probably what I wanted to do. I hit him up after class, bothered him immensely, applied for every internship at my college that listed the word security and ended up uh, getting an internship at PwC, which I declined uh, because I was uh, had a great startup job uh, as a customer support agent in college, making a ton of money. And I didn't wasn't ready to move to San Francisco for a few months and, and spend all that money. Uh, but inevitably, as a sophomore in college, and because of the dot-com boom back then, the big four was having a hard time attracting talent. And I told them if they got gave me an offer for when I graduated, I would take it. And so I had a job offer as a sophomore in college for when I graduated in security, and they trained me on how to do everything, and the rest is sort of history. Wow. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really cool um, and uh, an amazing story. So, okay, so when you graduate from college, where were you? So I went to PwC in San Francisco. They had early stages of a security consulting practice that had originated out of New York and then expanded to San Francisco Bay Area. And so that was fascinating, kind of getting in on the bottom floor of more true security consulting, not just controls, but doing things early days of wireless hacking and application security and firewall management all this stuff that I got trained on the fly a little bit to do in front of clients, which was just an amazing part to my career. Okay. So then you were, you were consulting and then you went corporate side or in-house, I guess. I, I did. Mm -hmm. What was the decision like for you to make, make that jump? Yeah, it was a few different things. I remember my very first project at PwC was going and assessing 40 Unix servers uh, at a big government client with a spreadsheet and a script that I ran. And then sitting across from the CIO 
just a few months out of college, explaining to this person the weaknesses they had in their system based on a spreadsheet I was reading from. And I felt very small at that moment. And then when the CIO pushed back on some of the findings, I had no response to that because I had no real background, as you can imagine. So that set me up to say, I've got to get really deep into this area uh, and understand it. And a lot of me reading books, and I never wanted to feel that way again. Inevitably, after about eight and a half years at PwC and, and spending time on maybe 200 clients and some amazing stories, um, I realized I just didn't want to talk theory anymore. I needed to own it. And I had opportunities at Facebook, Amazon, and eBay. And I ended up going to eBay early and headed up the, a security engineering group focused on AppSec across eBay and its various properties, and then helping to refactor uh, some of the eBay code that was a little old and had some issues. Hmm. Well, but you said it in college, you didn't really like coding. I did not, uh, but I learned how to actually find weaknesses in code and do a bunch of interesting things in the early days of AppSec. And if you look at the early days of AppSec, you didn't have to be necessarily a hardcore programmer or developer to go and mess around with web applications and make them do things they're not supposed to. And that was where the curiosity came out for me on, wow, this is really interesting. It took a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. And when you found something, you, you exclaimed, wow, I found something. Uh, and you were very excited, but it might take hours of trying different things because the tool sets weren't very good back then. But likewise, the controls also weren't very good. And almost every website or corporate entity that we would mess around with and paid to go and assess, we would find something uh, inevitably. And that's like how the bad guys work. You give them enough time and patience, they'll inevitably find something, right? Yeah, yeah, very true. Okay, but let's keep going on where you've, held positions because you've held some um you've held positions at some really interesting companies so ebay and then where did you go yeah so ebay i was a a, a director at ebay i had a team that uh, reported to me i spent about a year and a half there but i was commuting from san francisco three hours total a day down to san jose this was mm -hmm. pre uh remote work friendly uh and it wears on you right yeah. And I loved eBay. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the company. Uh, they treated their employees so well. Uh, but I told my boss when I took the job, I said, like, listen, if I get a head of security position at some smaller startup in San Francisco that I can walk to, I'm probably going to take that. Um, and inevitably, one of those uh, popped and, uh, and I went for it and I wanted to prove to myself and I wanted to keep climbing the ladder that I could be a leader in this area and actually navigate the strategy for an organization. And so I went and became the head of security at a company that's really no longer around called Engine Yard. It was a, a Ruby pass play with some really amazing people and had a lot of potential, but unfortunately it just, it didn't work out. Um, uh, following that, what happened is I was there, I knew the company wasn't doing so well after a couple of years. Um, we were a customer of this little company at the time called Zendesk, and they had a terrible security breach. And I ended up getting an email from the CEO that said, we've been hacked. And that was the title. It didn't, didn't offer a whole lot of information. And I had a good friend that worked there and he called me. And you know, after we talked about was, was our data at risk, he mentioned, we're hiring. Uh, do you want to come interview? And so I went and interviewed over there. They were a fast growing company, only a couple hundred people. 
and ended up being the head of security for there and navigated them through the breach and through an IPO. So I stayed there four years. Wow. Uh, following that, uh, I wanted a different lifestyle change and an opportunity in Santa Cruz presented itself uh, to work at this company called Looker, kind of uh, a, re, a, a redo of, of Zendesk from a growth standpoint. And so we moved down to Santa Cruz. I walked along the ocean to work and it was fascinating for three years. And then Google acquired us and I stayed at Google for a year and then uh, and then left Google and then into the position that I am now. Yeah, um, which I really want to talk about as well, because now you you're at YL Ventures and you evaluate, I, I assume I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but you're evaluating startups. You the fund specifically focuses on cybersecurity startups, correct? That is correct. Mm -hmm. um, so why did you make that jump? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think many CISOs and security professionals can probably relate to this. Um, it's a very lonely job being a CISO. Even if you have a huge team, uh, it's not a job where a lot of people want to want to talk to you, right? And um, when I landed at Looker, I and, and everyone should do this when they take a new role, they should evaluate what do they want to be perceived as in their new role? What have they learned from their previous roles and what will be them, make them successful? And I wanted to be perceived as approachable, very approachable. And I get to Looker and they had no seats for me. It was such a fast growing company. And they said, hey, we're, we're building on another floor, but we could kick an intern out of a seat for you. And I said, I can't be the guy coming into a company and asking the intern, that's intern to leave. That's really bad optics. I'll just wait it out. And I sat on a couch between the engineering pod and the kitchen. And it was the best thing I ever did. Because, yeah, people, the engineers would come by. They didn't know me. I was that guy sitting on the couch. I said I wanted to be approachable. And in event, inevitably, I was the guy saying hi to everybody. But eventually, people would take me to the side. They'd pull me into a room. They'd say, hey, I have this security concern that I'm, I, I'd like to talk to you about. And that was the best way for me to understand risk in the organization. And it actually became a meme uh, when I would say something in Slack, they'd put a little red stapler emoji by my name. Somebody put a red stapler, it's an office space reference and put property of Ryan and it became my seat, right? And if I wasn't there, I was in a meeting. And as we built out multiple floors, facilities would come in, okay, we're ready to give you a desk. And I'd say, no, and I kept staying there. Now, all that said, it's still a very lonely job. And I'd make fun of myself with this because I'd say in awareness training and otherwise, I would say, if I'm coming to you, I'm likely coming to you because I need you to do something and help me with something. And it's going to be an interrupt. And as much as friendliness as there can be, it's still a lonely job because people are afraid to talk to you because you might give them work. And so going to Wild Ventures, I was experiencing a lot of migraines uh, when we when I went through the transition with Google. You can read into that however you want. Um, but my doctor suggested maybe it's time for a bit of a career change. And I was ready. And Going to Wild Ventures allowed me to have the opportunity to go and try to build something and have a bunch of people that want to talk to you versus kind of trying to avoid talking to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really resonates with me because as the GC, general counsel for these companies, um, I, you know, if, if I sent an email to someone and said, hey, can I talk to you? 
every single time someone would be like, am I in trouble? What's going on? What, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's fine. Uh, I just have a question. Um, okay. So let's, I, I'd love to focus on Wild Ventures for a little bit because this podcast focuses on entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, any, uh, I would, what, what, I'm trying to make sure this question is not too broad, but I would love to know if there's any insights you have for people who are selling cybersecurity as their trade. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's specific enough. Yeah, I actually wrote an article uh, a while ago talking about my lessons learned with that on if you're trying to sell something. And I, and I think what you mean, is, correct me if I'm wrong. You're a security company and you're trying to sell your products to other CISOs, let's say. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yep, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, there's there's multiple things that I've learned through this. Some of them include like not being slimy through the whole process, right? And being super transparent to the people you're meeting with on here's the actual thing we're trying to build. Does it actually fix a risk that you care about? All right. Getting all that insight early is so valuable for these young companies and and not thinking to yourself as a founder of a company, well, I built the best thing in the world. And if, if it doesn't fit their model, I'll move along to somebody else. No, you should actually figure out if the US market and the US CISOs uh, actually need your product. And then also maybe what you thought it was going to do or the value proposition isn't really what people need and you can tweak it and take that feedback. So the first one is just being humble about what your product is and taking feedback. The second is being super transparent on what your product does and what it doesn't do, right? Mm-hmm. So don't get waste CISO's time. They have very limited time. And so if what I found with vendors, if they're super transparent with me, I actually build a lot of trust with them uh, because they can tell me exactly what they are and what they're not today. Um, Third is don't expect your product to be the Swiss army knife for everything people need and that your dashboard is the most beautiful thing ever and everybody's going to be sitting at it waiting, but with bended you know knee that it's amazing and that's the product they're going to fire up in the morning when they get to work. Yeah. Everybody builds a dashboard. Realize that's not what security leaders want. They want the data. They want to be told what to do they want to be banged on the head and they want help with remediation. There's one side just to discover all the issues, but your tool also needs to help me fix the issues because if all you're doing is just discovering stuff and not helping me fix them, actually your tool is a liability for me because now I have to manually go figure out how to fix all this because it's on record, right? Yeah, yeah. So those are yes. a few yeah, I, I mean, and then that makes me think about alert fatigue and how um, sure. that's something you got to be careful about building. Um, so when you are working with these entrepreneurs, what do they tell you is the most difficult part of building businesses, their businesses? Uh, I think it's a few things. One is right now, it's really hard to find really great engineering talent, especially our, our portfolio companies uh, all originate out of Israel and everybody's fighting over the same amount of talent. I think I read the other day, Tel Aviv's like one of the most expensive places in the world to live, right? Wow. And part of that is the inflation of salaries with so many people uh, jumping over each other. So so, so that's one. Uh, I, I think the other side is um, finding a great sales leader and at, at the right time, right? Mm. 
uh, founders need to be able to sell their product and they need to be able to do that well uh, early on. If you can't sell your product as a founder, you're kind of a, that's kind of a failure. But you also need to find people that can come across to CISOs and understand, especially the U.S. market, what a CISO is dealing with and show a lot of empathy in their mm -hmm. sale process uh, to be able to sell effectively. Um, so that's another one. Third is taking, as I mentioned before, having a very clear roadmap and taking feedback and not being so rigid and being able to adjust it uh, to what your design partners may need. Um, I think that's all very good advice. And I hope whoever's listening to this really does um, take take note of that. I want to I want to focus a little bit about your jump to a venture fund. I know we're kind of going back a little bit and and for well, first of all, did it solve the headaches by <laughs> making the switch? <laughs> you know, it's hard to know. I went on a, a new one of the I live in Salt Lake City now. Uh, moved from California and, and Salt Lake City has a great migraine center. So uh, they love studying older men that get migraines because it's kind of a rarity to get them. Uh, hmm. Actually, it's an interesting class. So they love to study me. So I got on a good medication there. Plus, I changed my job. So I'm not sure what percentage uh, uh, applied to be be frank with you. But yes, okay. they got that. <laughs> okay. well, well, good. At least at least there's a happy, happy alter, uh, um, outcome there. Yeah. So now what what is what are your day like now what are you doing most of, with most of your time sure yeah well i'll i'll break it into two uh in my I, because i've had two roles at, at wild venture so my first role was CISO in residence full time and that role was basically broken into three things one was uh doing the top of the funnel so when the finding came the finding occurs with our israeli team we're broken into the us team and the israeli team mm -hmm. the israeli team goes and finds and does research research on interesting areas and goes finds founders that are interested in starting startups in those areas. They do the first pass. Um, once they kind of pass that first test, then I get introduced to them and we go through and spend an hour going through what their idea is. And my job there is to share with them, will that be an opportunity uh, that can actually be effective in the US market, frankly? And is this a billion dollar company? That's always in the back of your mind, right? So my first job was doing due diligence. The top of the funnel is very wide and then it gets down to very, the very small. We may do one or two investments a year and we may talk to 200 founders, right, mm. in a year. Uh, the second part of my job is working with our early stage portfolio companies on their go-to-market, on their security strategy uh, in their product, what the product looks like, uh, continuing giving them feedback on that. And so that would be a regular occurrence. Um, and then the third was doing content creation, blog posts, uh, being part of conference talks and actually branding work for Wild Ventures, right? Okay. Um, I did that role for a year and a half. And then it's it's only a year job as CISO in residence. And so we have a new CISO in residence or uh, that was after me, it was named Frank Kim. And then they asked me to stay on as an operating partner. Um, I became an LP in the fund, invested in the fund and worked a little uh, less, more part time now. But my main job now is connecting CISOs in the U.S. market with our portfolio companies and building out their network. And mainly the, the goal is help our seed stage companies get to series A financing. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, almost almost an entrepreneurial role in and of itself is what mm -hmm. you're doing. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you find and, or, I mean, I'm sure you have a large network of CISOs 
how, how have you continued to build that? And then I'm going to layer on top of a question. What are your market insights as to what's going on um, with cybersecurity and, and maybe even tech and cybersecurity right now? Sure. Uh, so to the, to the first question, yeah, my network, what really helped me actually was a being a PwC for nine years and working on so many clients. I was an early LinkedIn user, like maybe one of the first ones. And I, I just made a goal. I'm going to link into everyone. I'm not going to make a bet on people. And that's actually uh, been very beneficial in my career for helping me get jobs and having discussions with people. So um, the perspective of What's so interesting is I just reach out to some people in some cases I haven't talked to in years and I tell them about my job transition and I say, and a lot of them are security professionals and I, and I let them know, are you interested in learning about transitioning out of security at some point? And inevitably, a lot of the time that turns to, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And I, or I'd love to learn more about investing or I, or I'd love to have, I'm having this issue in my role and you, you've been a security leader. Maybe you have some anecdote you can share with me. So a lot of times it's, it's very win-win, right? Mm-hmm. I get an opportunity to understand what they're doing and stay relevant. I get an opportunity to share our portfolio companies in many cases, and they might want to do an intro. Meanwhile, they get to learn a little bit about there is another role out there that they can start building towards, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, to your second question, uh, how are, wh- maybe you can re- repeat a little bit. What are yeah. we seeing in security and tech? Yeah, mar- sort of market insights. What are you seeing across the board with the CISOs? What are the things that they're thinking about and maybe technology that they're sure. solutions they're looking for? Yeah. Take it any well, way you want. <laughs> well, so the environment right now is super stressful for CISOs more than ever, right? They're being asked in many cases to let go of some of their employees because we've seen many tech rifts. Um, with the Tim Brown situation and solar winds, you see that additional pressure. Uh, they're worried about their own liability right now. Uh, also, this is the first time in forever that I can remember there are really great CISOs looking for jobs and not finding them right now. I never experienced that in my career. I knew if if I left, there'd be there's so many roles to fill that that I would find something. So in general, the environment's very stressful. They also have very flat budgets right now. Hmm. So it's very tough. And so what are they looking for? Well, in many cases, they're looking for solutions and tools uh, that don't require a bunch of resources to throw at it, but they can automate a bunch of things. They're also looking to refine their controls down to, I've really got to go after what's most important. I can't do a lot of nice to haves. Right now, I got to just be super focused. Uh, And just like ensure that we're meeting our customer demands uh, to a very reasonable level and not being negligent. Uh, but I have to be very crisp on what that is. As far as technologies go and, and areas of interest, obviously AI is a big interest right now in how companies are using LLMs and, and, and the data that's part of those and how they're controlling that. Um, automation and remediation in the cloud is very interesting right now. Um, uh, we still see a lot of concepts and discussion about zero trust uh, still mm-hmm. going on. And actually, I think we're seeing a bit of a, an uptick in interest in privacy and and requirements around privacy and controls. And how do we do that more effectively without uh, making it so manual on these requests for data and otherwise? So those are some of the things uh, that we're seeing. Yeah, that was fantastic. And I, I, um, I'm 
I'm glad to see that privacy is is starting to overlap, and that's for selfish reasons. But unfortunately, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask a couple of quick fire questions, if that's all right. Sure. Um, so my favorite one, which is your number one security tip that you tell your friends at social events. Oh man, it's a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is sad. It, I I guess social events. Uh, I'm not going to include security professionals as part of that. Um, uh, there's two probably. One, make your passcode on your phone, not something stupid. And then, uh, then second, just just be know that some of the people that are interacting with you on social or in your email or otherwise may not be what they seem, right? Mm -hmm. And they may be interested in ulterior motives and take everything with that, keep that little voice in the back of your mind that this may not be a good idea and make pause before you take action on certain things. Mm, that's good advice. Um, any favorite cybersecurity or business book or podcast or any any resource that you would recommend to the audience? Uh, that's a great, that's also a great question. <laughs> you know, I've, I've always enjoyed reading Krebs stuff and I like to, I like to read about journalists that are actually doing deep security, uh, thought, uh, stuff. And I thought, I love his stuff for that, that purpose. I read a lot of things, uh, but mostly focused on areas of interest that we have. And then I go and Google around and, and, and talk about that. The best source of knowledge that I actually get is being part of amazing Slack communities in different regions that I've been a part of security professionals who they talk about the things that they're dealing with in their role or interesting products that they're using or challenges that they see coming up. And that makes me uh, really much more smart on on my job than I otherwise would be just hearing practitioners on what they do. And so not everybody has access to that, but I would say if you're listening to this, get a be a part of some CISO Slack community in your in your region that you're in because you'll get so much benefit from that. Yeah, I, I think that's good advice too. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell listeners maybe where they can find you if they want to reach out? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm primarily on LinkedIn. And so Ryan Gurney, yeah, pretty easy to find. I've got a unique name. Uh, and then uh, uh, mainly on, you can go to Wild Ventures page and we have a whole people page. And that shows all the advisors that we have on our fund. We've got about a hundred CISOs that are part of Wild Ventures. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Wild Ventures, our portfolio or, or my career, or, or just want to talk shop, yeah, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for joining us. And if you're listening, you can find this podcast on uh, Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks again. Thanks, Ryan.